Hi, good morning, Night Vale listeners, fans, owners, and future patrons. Yes, we said it, patrons. We are launching a Patreon. So we can do cool things like bring you more fun slash weird content and have some cash to pay our editors and mixers. If you were thinking I'd love to buy those Good Morning Night Vale hosts a beer or a froyo or two semesters of tuition at mortuary school. Now you can, but instead of beers and yogurt and embalming fluid, it's cash so we can use it to keep bringing you this show. We have great perks for our patrons, like ad-free episodes and exclusive backstage tour videos and pictures, including video from our recent trip to White Castle. It was fine. Totally fine. Plus, a bonus monthly fan zone only episode, bi-monthly live fan zones, shout-outs in the credits, recipes, and food recs from the cast. I, Hal Lublin, will make scones for you on the internet. Plus, monthly weird, personalized gifts and snacks delivered by mail from the cast. I have a lot of weird Night Vale shit in my house, and for the right price, it's coming your way. And the opportunity to be a guest on Good Morning Night Vale on the future episode of your choice. And more. If you love us or even just like us, check out our Patreon and keep our love alive with your sweet, sweet cash. Go to patreon.com slash goodmorningnightvale. That's patreon.com. Good morning, Night Vale. We are forever in your hearts. And in your earbuds. And in your bank accounts. It's fine. We We love love you. you. A friendly desert community where the sun is still hot. The moon still beautiful. And mysterious lights still pass overhead while we all pretend to sleep. Good morning, Night Vale. Good morning, Night Vale. My name is Meg Bashwinner, and it is snowing where I live right now. My name is Hal Lovelin, and the world is on fire where I live right now. And I'm Symphony Sanders, and it was snowing earlier, but now it's raining because I live in Chicago. And we're here to talk to you about Welcome to Night Vale, because we're in Welcome to Night Vale, and we like to talk about it because we are our jobs, and we like it, and we like you. We so are our jobs. I agree. Uh, We are the job. We do the show. We talk about the show. I'm married to Joseph. I think you're the deepest in it of any of us. (laughs) I feel really deep in it, guys. I feel really (laughs) deep in it sometimes. Sometimes I'm like, I have dug a hole full of Night Vale so deep that it is a mile deep and a foot wide, and I am staring up at a pinhole. (laughs) (laughs) You're like Donna Brasco. You can't get out. You're, it's like almost taken over. You don't know where or Donatello Versace. Yeah, you don't like Donatello Versace. You don't know Donatella. where you end and Versace begins. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. It's like I am the the Donatello Versace of weird fiction podcasting. Hey. <laughs> Own it. Hey. It's pretty good. And you know what? Your hair is also as straight and beautiful. Sometimes it is. Yeah. Sometimes. Due to the the help of a straightener made by the lovely people at Chi. Anyway, episode description. It's been one year since the first episode. One year since strange things began underneath lane five at the Desert Flower Bowling Alley and Arcade Fun Complex. One year since the arrival of Night Vale's most beautiful person, Carlos. It's been one year. Can you believe that we got there in six months? (laughs) 
We're so efficient. Yeah. We're we're more efficient than Night Vale, obviously. Um, yeah. But yes, you know what, you guys, from the beginning, from the open, there's so many parallels, so many things that they talk about in this episode that they talk about in the first episode. Uh, even the the opening is exactly the same thing. And we're saying, and it's still this way, and it's still this way. Uh, we talk about angels and the hierarchy or whatever, if they are real at all, which they aren't. And the dog park, which we should never talk about again. And, you know, the airliner that lands in that lady's hallway and it landed in the school before. And Carlos and the NRA and the Apache tracker, which used to be the Indian tracker, but is now the Apache tracker again. And the city below and all those things. And what have we learned, you know? Yeah, that's that's kind of the big question, and and it's such a fun, the whole episode to me is such a fun celebration of a year of doing the show in that it kind of honors and and highlights some of the things that have happened while still moving. Oh, hold on a second, I gotta stop the presses. Did I just see? I I know this is a podcast, nobody else can see, but I have the <laughs> video feed up. And while I was speaking, Miss Symphony Sanders, Sam Fifth, you're nasty. Took a big swig of Essentia. Is that Essentia water? The official water of Hal Loveland? It is. Oh, that made me so happy. I love Essentia. No, we talked about this, Hal. We've talked about how the hydration is paramount to to nothing else. I mean, it goes, (laughs) for me, it's Essentia, then Fiji, and and then Smart Water. That's where I am in the hierarchies. Where's Voss in there? I am not drinking a Voss because I'm always afraid that they cost money. (laughs) Like, because anytime I, the only time I see them, is when we're in a hotel, and I'm like, nah, I'm not paying $4 for that fucking Wait, water. Wait, do you barter for all your other water, though? No, I buy it at, if I buy it at a gas station, but I actually try not to buy a lot of bottled water anymore at all mm-hmm. because I think about the environment, and I bring my handy-dandy water bottle Yes, that I got with Miss Meg Bashwinner. At um, Target. At a Target boutique. Yeah, that and, was a nice trip to Target that day. We really hit it hard. Yeah, it was good. And that's what we do on tour. We go to fucking Target. <laughs> Target, motherfuckers. We're like, you know what I need to do? Target run. Target run, baby. Nothing makes you feel more like a normal person. Everyone gets so excited when I'm like, hey, guys, you guys want to take the van and go to Target? Seriously, you're the best tour mom when you're like, I know we have a little bit of time this afternoon. Does anyone need to go to do a Target run? And people are like feral for it. You're like, oh, my God, I need... Um, some vitamins and some dry shampoo dry and shampoo, bobby some pins. More, yeah, bobby pins. Clean uh, underwear. Toothpaste. Oh, <laughs> girl. Because sometimes you're like, I'm three days away from a washer and uh, I have been going commando for the last two. So <laughs> I don't, I, that's not me personally because all of my underwear are made of like an inch worth of fabric. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it, buying underwear when you're on tour feels kind of like a superpower. You're like, I just, I just extended my life by five days. <laughs> you get five plus, five up. I'm very interested in in your uh, inch thick underwear. What do you just put a cast over your crotch for several days? No, it's not an inch thick. It's the like only like it's a the size of a stamp. My underwear. Oh, I see. It's you're like, not. Yeah. yeah. You're rocking very it's, little fabric. Yes. I it's see. a stamp with dental floss is the Symphony Sanders <laughs> special. <laughs> I wear double the amount of underwear. I almost look like uh, if I could be like the prospector in the Old West who comes out of the outhouse in like full pajamas. 
that is like, they're coming from the hills. That's that's like the level of coverage I desire. I want it all covered up. I want to be a mystery to everyone but my wife. Yeah. You're like a never nude almost, right? Like- <laughs> In a way, yeah. I don't want to be – except when I'm home, the first thing that happens generally – and I'm wearing pants right now because I'm a gentleman. Ooh. But uh, the pants will come off immediately. Like it's Prove time. It. It's time. Prove it, Loveland. Never. I'm a gentleman. <laughs> I'm putting extra pants on just for that. Just a pair of snow pants yeah. in the middle of LA. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Clothes. It's fun. It's yeah. fun being a human. It's but- fun having body shame. Right? <laughs> it's fun shopping at Target. It is. it is. Target. A bomb for your body shame. <laughs> uh, you know what is not great though? That I, I hear I put some parallels on people that are not have not been thought of as great in the last year. Um Teddy and Telly, who are both mentioned in this episode. Yes. So Teddy, I mean, Cecil didn't exactly say anything bad about him, but like Carlos did say that he was <laughs> deranged. Like that Teddy yes. Williams is deranged. Um, which is probably true. You know what I mean? And because Cecil takes whatever Carlos says as the truth, right? Well, he's a scientist, Symphony. Obvi. But I meant also, like, because he's, like, hardcore in love with him, I think really sets that tone. And then Telly cut Carlos's hair, and right. he became, you know, became the unwanted, you know, person. Public enemy, number one. For sure. Yeah. And... So both of them, I just thought it was funny that they, you know, like Telly and Teddy, that's not really that far apart. And the tracker. Oh. oh I didn't even think about that. I just yeah. put the parallels in. Wow. This, this is the tracker's episode, you know. It is. It is. Oh, yeah. And he, I mean, we go back to the idea of like, he's like really crappy, right? Like he's like a jerk and like he's basically appropriating, which you know, I find this interesting because this came out well before people started getting mad at all those Coachella girls. Mm, wait, what is the Coachella thing? They dress up in Native they American, like indigenous and, people? Yes, and just generally for Halloween. Sorry, guys. Uh, Indian princess is not like a great costume. It should. It isn't a costume. It's a person. So stop yeah. it with that shit. It's a culture, not a costume. Yes. Don't, I mean, I love gems and bedazzling and jewels on my face just as much as anybody else, but you can do it in a way that makes you look like an alien rather than, you know, messing with someone's culture. Yeah. The alien culture is fine to appropriate for now. Until we find Maybe in 200 years when there's aliens, it's going to be like, whoa, that's fucked up. You were appropriating alien culture. Yeah. But for now, until we meet those fuckers. (laughs) When was Rachel DeLiesel? When did did that story break? This was after this, right? That that was like two years ago. No, I feel like that was longer ago than that. Going to Dr. Google. Oh, now I have to put her name into Google. Yeah. Do you really want this in your search history? I don't think it was as, as far back as this episode, no? She was born in 1977. Um, but I, I, another thing I love about this episode uh, is the the framing device that while all these highly dramatic things are happening around the bowling and uh, arcade family fun complex is it's Jeremy Gottfried's birthday. I know. <laughs> and his birthday just sort of gets swept in. And I never had I never had a bowling alley birthday as a kid. And I always thought that was a very cool birthday party to have. 
Well, when you're 50, though. You know what? I threw Jennifer a 30th birthday party at a bowling alley. We were just starting to date, and it felt like this is a way to get all of our friends together in one place, uh-huh. have a fun, a fun activity around it. Yeah. And the people who want to drink can drink, and everybody who else wants to eat nachos can eat exactly. nachos. Exactly. So, yes, if you're turning 50, you go have a bowling alley party. Wait, but no, look, look, look. I'm saying if you <laughs> like bowling, but like. Right. That could be acceptable. If you're like on a league or something, of course, that's a sure. great birthday party. But like, I don't know if that's for everyone. That's all I'm saying. This I is know true. it's not for everyone, no. but it's for Jeremy. Yeah. yeah. But you know what? I couldn't help but feel like, I was like, shut up, Jeremy. Like, stop being such yeah. a poop in the pants. There's exactly. other things that are happening here. It's not about you. Something bigger is happening. I don't right. care if it's your birthday. It's 50. You've had 50 of them already. What? Like, you know, you're not special. Yeah, because he got salty about it at the end. He's like, well, this is just the worst birthday. And I was like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> He's like a Debbie Downer. Yeah. yeah. How about the day you were born? That day was hard for your mom. Whoa. Oh. oh. You burnt. You burnt, Jeremy. Oh, crispy burnt. Yeah. No, I I agree, um, Symphony, that this is the episode that kind of it's just like it's the uh the like best of the year. Let's bring everything back. Let's show off our city councils and our angels and our mans and tan jackets and like our mayor and all that stuff. It's like let's just lay all our cards out on the table and like and then do something cray. This episode, when I was like listening to this back and I was like, Of course I know what happens. Yeah. I knew what was happening at the time, but like I tried to think about it with ears that had never heard this before and people must have lost their damn minds I being like totally wrote that down i was like i was like fuck i forgot about this did everyone just shit themselves when carlos died <laughs> because i feel like if i had been i was like uh, okay 25 episodes in you're like committed to this show this is like a year in before the big blow up though right Meg? yeah this was just about when it's about to pop off okay so people are like watching this and they're like, oh my God. You know, especially this is like the love of Cecil's life. He's like, also kudos Cecil Baldwin for your excellent acting. You really brought it. There was some emotion there. It was acting yeah. with an A. You think he has emotions. <laughs> <laughs> he's that good of an actor as so he can make you believe that he has emotions. Yeah, that's and a masterclass. he's not class. just a lizard man. <laughs> <laughs> it is fantastic. Like the, the, uh, it's really heavy to listen to at points. The sort of up and down of the whole episode is, is really great. And I love the payoff. Uh, I don't know if I'm talking about it too early of the, the tiny, the city underneath which we've been talking about the whole time that it's that it's this huge build. There's a city under there. It's a huge, mm-hmm. you know, huge threat. What's down there? Then we find out that it's a, a bunch of like Lilliputians. <laughs> yeah. So that's there's your first turn of like the whole time, which is sort of like um, there was a GI Joe episode uh, from our from our collective childhoods. Probably more mine. I'm a little older than than you guys, but where GI Joe gets a message from somebody called the Viper. And it just, they keep getting this message saying, the Viper, I'm the Viper. I'm coming. The Viper is coming. And then at the end, he shows up and they're all like out and ready to fight. And it's an old guy with a bucket. He's like, I am the Viper. I vipe the windows. So the whole joke being, there is no enemy. He's just, he's harmless. So there's your first turn in this. But then they, then they almost kill Carlos and, and do kill 
the or mortally wound the Apache tracker. So it's yeah. just brilliant, like turn on turn, and then working in uh, Jeremy Godfrey's birthday is still there because those people have been swept into it. I just love the 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 overall flow of this episode is re- is a really just like a a strong and smart kind of journey through the work that they've been doing for a year. Yeah. Yeah, and the the choice to cut to the public service announcement after Carlos is dead, as opposed to cutting to the weather, I think right. was an interesting choice because it does it's it's a more in world shift as opposed to the jarring out of world shift that comes with the weather coming in. So yes. yeah, the choice to to put Cecil's voice right next to next to Cecil's voice of the like him distraught versus him from before that, before any of that distraught thing ever happened, doing a pre record about you know existence and science. And it was it, anybody else think that. The sounds behind, like the stuff that was like supporting Cecil's voice uh, on the pre-recorded thing, it made me instantly go to like a training video, or I thought of like, <laughs> um, like it'd be like such and such industries, blah 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 blah, and it's like yes. it had that weird white noise sound over it. I I just thought that was brilliant as well because it really did, like you said, mate. It just like pulled you out of that feeling of like, oh my God, this horrible thing is happening right now into something that's like more lighthearted. And it took me a second to like switch gears so that I could not feel this horrible like feeling, this horrible dread, but, and then it go to this more lighthearted uh, whimsy. Did, did it also, did, uh, sorry, did it, did it also symphony for you compound that that heaviness though because he obviously like you would imagine when you're when you're in a radio station when you play a promo or you play a pre-recorded bit you can still hear it in the headphones yeah. so he's he's going away from this emotional moment because he's lost the love of his life before they've really gotten off the ground this scientist and then the pre-recorded the PSA is about science it's just another reminder of a happier time you don't know exactly when it was recorded, but it's, you know, it would be like your pet bird uh, passes away, and then the PSA is Symphony's all bird pet songs. Bird passes away. She would love that. <laughs> I'd be like, "See you in hell, Mister Mephistopheles." <laughs> That's right. Well, you killed the bird, clearly. Yeah, it's such a stark reminder of it's like he's not the person that he was when he recorded that. That like there's this huge yeah. seismic shift in who he is as a person because he's lost something that was the potential to be the love of his life. And he's the the line that gets me is like I'm still holding this trophy because it's like again yes. you know, like I'm still I'm still wearing the clothes and holding the props of the man who is someone who I'm not anymore in in a second. You know that was that, that change in a split second. And the way that set up that idea earlier is like they're that that's going to be sort of their date. Yeah. Is like, I've got this trophy for him. I'm going to give him this trophy. I'm so excited and nervous about giving him the trophy. And then he is gone and you can almost see the trophy sort of uh, like fall in his hand, like the loosen the grip and it sort of swing. Like you get a very clear picture. Uh, it's, it's a really smart device and it, and it, Obviously, <laughs> excuse me, overall, the story that's told between them pulls you in to them as a couple. But I think this sells more than anything how important Carlos is to Cecil because everything else could just be the puppy love. It's He's got hair. He's got beautiful hair and great teeth. It feels a lot more physically based than anything else. Like, And that feels like a crush, but this feels like love and a deeper emotional 
uh, a, a much deeper emotional connection that's now being potentially ripped away. Yeah. Um, jumping back, though, to when he's describing this presentation for Carlos, I just wrote Thirsty Cecil. Oh, um, yeah, because he was like, I've like, got the statue, I'm hol- and I'm holding the I'm statue. I'm holding it. It's fine. Uh, he calls him my poor Carlos at the beginning, and then he says, our most beloved and singular citizen. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And he's, I'm holding it. It's okay. He's not going to be here. He's delayed. I'm holding the trophy. Like, I'm literally holding this torch for you. But do you, yes. know, do you know how that feels when you're really into someone and you're like, okay, and um, they're going to come and I, you built this thing up in your head, you know? like I've showered. I've waxed all of my bits. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, I'm going to go the over good there. Underwear. Yeah. And I'm going to sit my good inch of underwear and... <laughs> I'm going to go over there and I'm going to say this thing and they're going to say this thing. And then I'm going to give them this thing and they're going to just like fall in love with me and it's going to be perfect. And that's how it's going to go. And when that doesn't happen and then it switches to this horrible event instead, that breaks him. You know, I feel like it really does break him, but thankfully psych, everything's fine. <laughs> Because the Apache <laughs> tracker who can sacrifice himself. So do we forgive the way he was, like what he did? I mean, a deceased. So? I don't think we forgive. I think like you can hold those two things separately. I think a lot about what the Apache tracker is is holding two things separately about a person. So like, yeah, he's he's a racist shithead, but also like he sacrificed himself for another human being, and those two things can live inside of a person. It's possible to be someone who holds really negative beliefs that are very averse to yours while still being a person who is a person who cares about other people. And right. it, it's, it's sometimes hard for it to scan at all. Cause it's like, how could you, you know, be saying and doing things that are negative towards other people while at the same time doing something that is so positive for another person, sacrificing your life for them. It's hard to kind of scan, but I think the, the point is that those t- two things can exist in someone. Yeah. I think we're, we're very quick, especially now in this age, you read a story about someone and it's generally about something bad that they've done. And, and sometimes, sometimes it's an unforgivable, horrific crime, but other times it's something that's really, but like, Oh, what a dick. That person is obviously a terrible person. The only thing you will ever know about them is that one bad thing they did. And that's, that's how they're judged forever. That is never all anybody is. So this is a good reminder in this episode that there, that people do have dimension, and we there can be things on which we vehemently disagree, but still ultimately be able to sit and talk or coexist in some way. With in a lot of cases, yeah, and that it doesn't make it okay. Like it doesn't make it okay that correct, he's a, yeah. a racist, but it's it's still something that can be admired that he is sacrificing himself for something else. Like, look, look at O.J. Simpson. O.J. Simpson was really good at football. I mean, he murdered two people in really horrible <laughs> cold blood. Right. But um, does it make him a better or worse football player? Like, it, you know, does it, I'm not going to forgive him for murdering people. And I'm, I don't like, but it's 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 possible to be great in some aspects of your life and then and then <laughs> decayed and horrible in others. It's It's... It's part of sometimes one of the biggest facets of humanity is that not everything is all on the level. Right. Well, that makes me think about the NRA, guys. Nah, they're all shitbags. <laughs> Here's the thing. Here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. I, yes, yes. Now, like, Dana Lowe, she can go eat it. But, like, 
I'm talking about before all that, like when did the NRA turn into this, like this organization where they're just being like terrible? Didn't they used to just be like, oh, hey, we're about educating people about gun safety and like stuff like that. How did that change? And like, why are they like, oh, guns don't kill? Like, come on, man. I'd like to ring in with the answer, late capitalism. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, look, I think that that, as an organization, that there are people there who were probably, for a lot of the sensible gun control, that people like me who are vehemently anti-gun would would advocate for, that they would agree. Like, hey, I'm I'm a member of the NRA, but I also think you have to be educated and responsible and there need to be like, you know, laws and stuff. Yeah. Um, like stricter laws. But there is another side that is wingnut and crazy and rallies to the base. And that that is the voice that is dominant right now. So that and that doesn't even allow it doesn't even allow a conversation to happen. And that's the, that is the worst part of, of all of it is they it's immediate defense of like, oh, well, I they're going to try to make this about taking away guns. And well, I mean. How does that – how do you even allow a conversation when that happens? Yeah. Yeah. There's no room for debate. I mean, I'm on the side of there should be no guns for anyone and take the cops' guns away first. Um, But that's my position. It's not to say that there – I'm on the far left there. That's because in an ideal world, we get somewhere in the middle. And if I don't stand on the far left, we're not going to get to the middle, right? Mm -hmm. Like if I start in the middle and then I've got the people on the far right, I'm going to end up in the mid-right. Right. Well – I I just feel like it's unfortunate because I feel like you you could get more people if you were willing to give a little bit, Do you know, or not get more people, but just like, I, I just don't understand why people don't want to have human decency. Like, we see there's a problem, we should try and fix the problem instead of just being like, no, not us. Because when you feel attacked or accused, your first instinct is often to be defensive even That's if like, not mine because I'm a yogi. <laughs> well, you're a very special person. But I know <laughs> I, for me, there are times where I've been called out for something like, hey, that wasn't – you said something that was offensive even though you didn't mean it. And I had to – and like I had to stop because my first thing was, well, I wasn't – I didn't mean to offend anybody, blah, blah, blah. I Instead, I stopped, listened, and tried to go, okay, well, what are they feeling? And let me check – my point of view and see what they're saying and go, you know what? You have a valid point. Even if I didn't agree a hundred percent on it, it really doesn't matter what I think. It matters how it was taken. So, you know, this is, allow me to apologize and, you know, I mean, it wasn't yeah, anything You're a scholar and terrible. a goddamn gentleman. Al <laughs> but yeah. it, everybody should do that. But that it's right. very hard to overcome that instinct it of is. defense. Like, oh, wait, but I'm a good person. You didn't understand. And it's not yeah. fair that I'm being – when you feel attacked, you don't go, well, let's sit down and talk about it. You go, no, stop attacking Screw you. Me. Eat my farts. Yes, yeah. exactly. Like, well, I'm not your problem. Well, in this specific yeah. instance, yeah, yeah, I am your problem because I'm, <laughs> I, I offended you. And right. so maybe I'm not as offensive as our president himself, but I did something that was that you found offensive. And I think there's room for there's room for conversation there and listening. And, and it, it hurts a little bit when your world's about to shift. It's, you know, like when yep. you're about to 
open up a little bit. It, you want to resist it because you're like, wait, the whole way I've been doing things was wrong. Shit. Um, like you think about the wake you left bef- behind you. I feel so. the same way about like um, like all the big energy, like oil, coal, all that stuff too. Because I'm like, yo, if you were on the cusp, if you were on the cusp of the other energy, like the clean energy uh, options, you could still make that money, son. You know what I mean? If it's all about money, if your problem is like you want to profit or whatever, it's like be on the be on that side. Be like, okay, we're going to phase this out, but we're getting into this business because then it's going to like you'll still make the money and then you could be in the business of like making things not so bad. But when you fight it and you're like sticking to it like an old crotchy son of a bitch, you know, it makes it tougher for everybody to live a just decent life. And like, it's unfortunate that we're at this time um, when I'm so young and vibrant. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, I don't want to undermine the work that a lot of young people in this country and older people in this country have done over the past couple of years to continue to make this, bring this to the forefront and continue to make sure that we are doing our best to elect people who really give a shit about these issues and creating change and, uh, and yeah, and working their ass off to, to not, be silenced on this issue and not get pushed into the margins about it. So it's, yes, it's terrible, but I have to, like, I'm still going to go on the side of hope and I'm still going to, you know, put my money on those kids that, that they give a shit. I agree with you on that wholeheartedly. And actually that hope made me think about this quote that really jumped out to me um, that I thought really described the whole of Night Vale and like where we are. When they said, but we've jumped to that conclusion and we'll defend it against all naysayers violently and without mercy. Our truths may or may not be true, but they are ours and we stand by them. Even as experts and skeptics hold aloft clipboards and intone us to us about snow and mountains. (laughs) Night Vale, for all its failings, all the things that are wrong with it, whatever, everybody's like, nope, we're sticking with it, you know? It's like anybody can talk about, uh, I can talk about my my family, but you can't talk about my family, you know? Right. You defend your, you defend your town. You defend what's close to you more than anybody else, even if they tell you that you're wrong. So I, I, I see all of those things, but I, I would just ask everyone to be a little bit more compassionate. Don't cost nothing. Empathy is free. It's the last thing that's free in this uh, late capitalist society. (laughs) And on that note, we have a Patreon. (laughs) 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 Slash good morning, night Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that we we have talked about a little bit about this this whole first year, uh, but I still like, I was just thinking about it. I was like, why does the Apache tracker start speaking Russian? Like, right. Why does this happen? Is it just to like make it weird and just make it other and Soviet and like just to get that tone and just have bring in another language? But like every time it happens, I'm like, why is this here? I actually don't <laughs> question that because I just like hearing Cecil talk Russian. It does a good job, I think. I mean, I'm not a native Russian speaker, it's but it really, sounds like he's, he's doing it. sounds it. good. Um, the Apache tracker says, at last, my time has come, and it's fine, it's fine. I knew this would happen. You can have my car. <laughs> That's the Russian translation. <laughs> hey, hey, Russian fans, what do, you, what do you think about Cecil's pronunciation? I think it's great. 
says the non-Russian. It sounds great. It sounds great to me. I'm of Russian descent. Not that oh. I speak it, but still sounded good. Up next, we hear from fans and friends of the podcast about their theories, comments, and questions. But first, a conversation about this episode's weather. This episode's weather was Sunday Morning Stasis by Joseph Fink. You guys, we get another Josie song. Yeah. Why not? He kicked it all off. Yes, exactly. That was another thing that I noticed was the same as in the first episode. And you know what? I like that this song was a little bit more complex. I mean, These and More Than These was a wonderful song, and I love the simplicity of it. But it was fun to hear him uh, also sing his own harmonies and everything. I was like, oh, Joseph. I was imagining him. You know how those those YouTube videos of people where they're like all they're like singing it's the same person, but they're singing like all the parts of a song. Yeah, it's like doubled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I imagined it was like I was imagining a video in my head. Oh, Joseph should make a video for Sunday Morning Stasis. That'd be adorable. Yeah. Yeah, I knew it was him immediately, which I did not. Obviously, if you go back and listen to the first episode of this podcast that I didn't know at first when I listened to it, that it was him. But uh, <laughs> I love that the first performance in that first episode was so stripped down. It was just him and a guitar like, and a mic in the room. Like It just sounded like somebody, somebody else was sort of recording him singing. But this felt like a full studio track that was produced. So it's just sort of, again, something that subtly or not so subtly illustrates the growth that the show has had over mm. a year. Yeah. Yeah. That's the audio editing that Joseph learned in uh, the course of 12 months. <laughs> he showed it I all just sounded off. sounded so Jersey when I said that audio. The audio editing that he did uh, was so good. Yeah, no, um, I love this song. I love the guitar part on this. The like, the little, I don't know how to describe it because I don't know musical words. but the Drumming. The, the strumming, yeah. The strumming has always been beautiful. I found really cool. And uh, yeah, I always love this one because we used to like to lay in bed on Sundays and then sometimes we'd go to brunch. Yeah. I, I like that he talked about, because I know Joseph and how much he likes to make the coffee when he talks about like making co- making a perfect cup of coffee. I was like, oh, he has made me that <laughs> cup of coffee and I enjoyed it. <laughs> if you ever get the chance, folks, let Joseph make you a cup of coffee. It's going to be good. He has a little coffee station in our house. He does. Oh. It, it looks out your window. I really want a coffee station in my bedroom, though. I feel like that's Whoa. Like... That's the next step. But would you... Okay. Is it nicer to have someone bring you a cup of coffee while you're just, like, laying in bed? And then you don't have to hear the sounds of the coffee being made. Do you know what I mean? Like I can still hear it from my bedroom to the oh. kitchen. Because that coffee grinder, grinder is loud, friends. And the, the tea well, kettle... Well, it'd be louder in your bedroom, girl. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Yeah, he's a great partner and a great little musician, and I love sharing a life with him. Yeah, And he's on book tour right now, and I miss him a lot. Hmm. And it's snowing, and I have to shovel the driveway by myself tomorrow. (laughs) Just call your neighbor. He's pretty good, our neighbor. He comes over and plows, but can't count on that, you know? You can't ever count on someone else to plow your driveway. Yes. But you can count on Joseph to make a banging song. That's right. Sure can. Make some bangers. Banging cup of coffee. Yes. (laughs) We love you, Joseph. We love you, Joseph. We love you. 25, episode 25, one year later. Also, yeah, we did a live version of this show uh, at Webster Hall. Oh. Oh, this was the first year? 
Yep, this was the one we did at uh, in the, the small room at Webster Hall with like 100 people. Nice. And I believe Robin Eigner was the guest weather. We had a opening stand-up comedian that wasn't me. Um, and I emceed the show. I remember what I wore. I shudder when I think about what I wore. It was like kind of cute, but like very, very still figuring out a personal style. What were you wearing? Oh, I think I was wearing like a like a lingerie type top with oh. a belt and red leggings and like a high low skirt and black cowboy boots it was like oh it was, it was a lot yeah it was nice. a lot it sounds like a lot yeah but um we did it and that was the first time i uh, ever emceed a, a show for night fail there you go hey there has to be a first for everything right first <laughs> for everything Speaking of first for everything, how about the for the first time in this episode, we go to the fan zone. Fan zone. Fan zone. It's a fan zone stromboli today. Stay right there. Good morning, Nightfell will return after a brief break. Do you have trouble getting the sleepies like I do, having a good night's sleep, like a full night's sleep? Let me introduce you to Feels, which is the premium CBD delivered directly to your doorstep. If you're like me and you have trouble, if you have stress, if you have anxiety, pain, or sleeplessness, then you just put a few drops of Feels under your tongue and you'll feel the difference within minutes. And if you're like me and you are new to CBD like I was, they offer a free CBD hotline to help guide your personal experience. Feels has me feeling my best every day, and it can help you too. Become a member today by going to feels.com slash good morning, and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash good morning to become a member and get 50% automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. Feels.com slash good morning. That's the sound of me smelling my own armpit because I smell like a coconut vanilla cookie. And I smell like that because of native deodorant. Good Morning Night Vale is very pleased to be able to offer you 20% off of your first purchase of native deodorant by going to nativedeodorant.com and entering promo code GOODMORNING at checkout. I find myself very lucky to live in a time in history when deodorant exists. Think about how bad George Washington must have smelled and be grateful that you don't have to go anywhere near that. I don't want you to be stinky. I want you to smell great. And I want you to do that without endangering your body with harsh chemicals. Native deodorant can do that for you. Their products are naturally formulated and aluminum free. So you're not gonna be slowly poisoned by your own armpits. You're gonna to have to find another way to die. And while you're finding that other way to die, you will smell great with a naturally derived deodorant that actually works. Native deodorant is not tested on animals. So no narwhals, which are real, will be injured for you to smell awesome. Visit nativedeodorant.com, use promo code GOODMORNING, and don't smell like George Washington. Let's get in there and dig in. Carly writes, Dear Meg Hallen Symphony, I have a very important follow-up question concerning episode 22. What on earth is a tasty cake? Is it an East Coast thing? For context, I have lived in Idaho my whole life. Thank you for the context. Cheers from Boise. Carly, P.S. It's pronounced Boise, not Boise. Got the note? Applied it. Thank you, Carly. Let me tell you, Carly. They just have those weird marshmallow potato things. The spuds. Those are good. I don't like marshmallow stuff. They're not as good as tasty cakes, though. 
I think it's best summarized by the classic jingle, nobody bakes a cake as tasty as a tasty cake. It is a small <laughs> cake and pie a bakery and distribution company based in uh, in or outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. They make uh, they're probably their signature piece is the butterscotch crimpet, which is a spongy cake uh, with soaked in butterscotch with a butterscotch icing on it that is in the shape of of like a ribbed brick. That's your favorite, right, Meg? Yes. Mine and Lydia's Lydia Bashman are also a big favorite flavor of the the butterscotch. I think is it me or is there also in the butterscotch? Is there a filling of sorts? Am I misremembering? There is. Okay, so it's like a little bit like a Twinkie, but frosted and butterscotch, and and better and less uh, feel, oh, way better and less pr- processed, but still processed. Yeah, it's a fresh process. Yes, like they have <laughs> fruit pies similar to Hostess, but Hostess fruit pies are all iced or frosted. Um, and they they have they leave like an aftertaste in your mouth. The tasty cake, the cake feels a little bit more fresh baked. There is no uh, coating on it, and the interior it tastes a little fresher too. So it is a fresher, tastier cake. Although I do enjoy Hostess, I also like uh, tasty cakes, peanut butter candy cakes. That's K K A K E S, uh, chocolate coated cake with a peanut butter center, in discs. And that is what a tasty cake is. Look for it and ask for it by its name. And now you know. And now you know, Boise. Now you know. If you don't know, now you know. Dominica writes, Hi, Meg, Symphony, and Hal. I just listened to your recap of Eternal Scouts, and I have a theory about Cecil. I have noticed that while he occasionally questions station management and certainly fears them, he rarely, if ever, tries to contradict the city council. Thus, his conservative, for Night Vale, politics. But I think this conservatism actually makes sense for his character. As a member, maybe even a leading member, of Night Vale's media, Cecil is the propaganda machine as much as a victim of it. So it makes sense to me that he'd toe the city council line. He's basically brainwashed by them and certainly more than a little gullible. Thanks so much for reading this. Dominica. Yo, I can't disagree with that, but... I don't think Cecil's dumb. That I don't think Cecil's dumb. So, yes, I think he knows a little bit, but, like, he's willing to just, like, forego the idea of his autonomy from uh, the ruling class. What do you guys think? Hmm. I think that lines up. Yeah. I think that, yeah, it lines up that as the leader of the media, it makes sense that he's lockstep with the government agenda. Yep. Agreed. This next fan zone comes to us from, I'm going to butcher your beautiful name, uh, Vichay, Vichia, Vichay. I don't know. It's beautiful. And you're writing me to correct something that I got wrong. So I please write back and correct the pronunciation of your name. Um, so my name is Vichay. I'm 16 years old and I've been an ardent fan of your podcast, i.e. Welcome to Night Vale since last year. I know this might be a little late as I've been slow catching up on my Good Morning Night Vale episodes, but as a Cambodian born and raised in Cambodia, I felt the need to correct Meg's saying of Snai Bong, uh, being slang for love you. It's just love you. It's not slang. Also, the word bong is a term used to refer to a man dearly. It's also used for someone older. So basically, Snai Bong means love you, the man of my affection. Anyway, keep doing what you're doing. I love you. Uh, should you receive this email, know that it comes with the most adoration. Sincerely, Vichay. So yeah, it just means love you. And then a bong, I, I was able to find out from another fan in the fan zone, is kind of like saying honey, but for a man. Okay. 
So it's like, so love you, love you honey. Love you, baby. Love you, honey. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I like it. I'm going to start saying that just to to men that I find affection for in my life. <laughs> and to your bong. It's not, yeah. And my bong. I'm I'm renaming my bong Snibong. <laughs> Snibong. Uh, <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, thank you, somebody. <laughs> uh, Brent writes, Carlos and Cecil become one of the most lovely and inspiring couples in fiction. But for quite a while, it seems like Cecil obsesses about someone who isn't interested, or at least we're given no reason to think Carlos is attracted to Cecil in the first 24 episodes or so. I've often wondered if Carlos listens to Cecil's show and how he feels about it. Does he think it's creepy and inappropriate the way the near stranger Cecil talks about him? I would. Or is the show and Cecil's clear adoration part of what brings them together? Perhaps Carlos only knows the show exists and wonders why everyone in town is always asking him how things are going with their local radio host. I wish we had Carlos's perspective on this period in their lives. I actually agree. I think it'd be a really fun monologue uh, for a future monologue at some point to have Carlos talk about uh, how he fell in love with Cecil. Yeah, I also agree because at first, yeah, Cecil feels like he's coming on pretty strong, particularly in this episode. He comes on the strongest, but we're then like given the reprieve of it and we see that there is another side to it, that there is like that Carlos has this near-death experience and the first thing he wants to do is go be with Cecil. Right. So it's like we're given that like break of the, is this just one-sided or like we like today's the day we crash into crash into the shore of their relationship. And they have had uh, contact before. They've at least had yeah. discussions where they've needed to interact. So it's not – I think there's a more than a passing awareness yeah. of, of who Cecil is. Well, and Carlos on a number of occasions has, even though it has been for business reasons, like called in to Cecil. And if he thought any – if he listened and thought any of it was inappropriate, he would have never called him back, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe not. Who knows what pe- why people do what they do. True. Which takes us to our next one. Symphony, go for it. Dominique. Wait, you're just giving me all the... all the. I thought it was interesting. We had Dominica and Dominique in it. one. Yeah. So Dominique, that makes me think of that French song. Dominique, Anyway. Uh, hi there, Meg, Symphony, and Hal. First of all, I love all your voices. Thank you. Thank Beautiful. You. <laughs> next. Do you think that Cecil made this scenario up? I mean the ending part. I believe that one year later episode is the start of Cecil's made up relationship with Carlos. Whoa. I mean, I love, and I mean, love Celia's, but Cecilos. Is that the way you say it? Sure. Cecilos, whatever. Cecilos. But don't you think this sounds pretty, pretty made up? How would Carlos survive that attack? Cecil said, and I quote, attacked by projectiles and explosives. I'm sorry, I said. I did a double take. What? Then Carlos isn't dead. And I was like, what? Then what if he is, though? Also, oh, I see. What if he is, though? What if he is dead? Also, how did Cecil remember the man in the tan jacket? So what is your opinion on this? My opinion on one year year later is love love it, but Carlos is dead, son. (laughs) Please say that word for the word on the podcast. (laughs) If you read this on the podcast, please also fuck the Apache Tracker. Thanks. I love you guys. With love and confusion, Dominique. Ah! Fuck the Apache Tracker. I'll hang up and listen to your comments. 
Um, but yeah, I'm like, whoa, this is an interesting theory. Like this is, yeah. Then the rest of it is just like Cecil's fantasy world. Well, okay. I guess I could totally see that. However, I do think, you know, the Apache tracker sacrificed themselves. So where else would you have gone? You know what I mean? Like that could have been Cecil's fantasy. And then for the remaining hundred and 13 episodes that have happened since then, He's actually been dead and Cecil's just making all this shit up in his head. But I usually go with the most obvious. And I think that, yeah, maybe he did sacrifice, especially whatever turned him to be like Russian talking. Why can't he have some sort of magic? It's Night Vale. They can do whatever. So I'm going to stay with the Apache tracker saved him with his magics the one time. And then he lost it and all the pain and all this stuff transferred over to the Apache tracker and that's how he died. Yeah. I hope that helps Dominique pull their suspenders of disbelief right back on. Keep those pants up. But I do like <laughs> that you said Carlos is dead son and fuck the Apache tracker. You're the bomb, Dominique. <laughs> And we love you. All right. This comes from Katie. Katie writes, just wanted to say that I hope your love-hate relationship with Arby's is mostly a loving one because they owe you a lot of my personal business in their establishment. (laughs) Actually, I didn't like Arby's until after I started listening to Welcome to Night Vale nearly three years ago. And now I am willing to eat there way more often. And my friends and I always go whenever we're on our way to a live show. Still looking forward to seeing you in Texas, by the way. Feel free to come closer to Oklahoma if you can. I would love to. I'd love to do OKC again. And Mm. I'd love to do Tulsa. Maybe one day. We'll see. We'll hang on for you. Anyway, I probably spent who knows how much of my hard-earned paycheck on Arby's salted caramel cookies. They are $1 of melted gooey deliciousness, and I find myself craving one every time a new episode of Welcome to Night Vale comes out. I guess in a way, those cookies are something I affiliate with Welcome to Night Vale, and at this point, it's just what Night Vale tastes like to me, if that makes sense. I don't know if this would be a fun thing for you uh, to talk about one day, but I guess I'll just ask, what does Night Vale taste like for you? For me, it's definitely got to be those salted caramel cookies from Arby's. God knows I've eaten enough of them to feed a small army over the course of the last few years. Thanks for the show. You guys rock. Love, Katie. So, yeah, Katie, thank you um, for supporting Arby's and for supporting our show. Um, what Night Vale tastes like for me is probably a chocolate chip cliff bar because that seems to be a lot of what we ate on the first tour we did. <laughs> um, I actually really love Arby's, and uh, I will eat a, uh, a roast beef junior any day of the week. With horsey and the horsey sauce and the regular barbecue sauce and their curly fries are the bomb. So I am down with just eating Arby's. Uh, I love Arby's. I love their sandwiches. Not a huge fan of their fries. I think their fries are kind of garbage. I know that might be unpopular, but I'm going to say it in a high voice to try their and get away with it. Their curly fries are good, though. They're fine. I don't know. I'd, I'd rather have other fries <laughs> in my life. <laughs> but uh, if we're going by stuff we eat, then Night Vale to me tastes like dried mango. Because when there's dried mango backstage, I'm like, I'll just have one. I always think of it like, all right, how many? There are like six of us here. I should only have a little bit. I should do like only a, only like my share. And then by the end of it, I've I'm like hidden in one of the dressing rooms, just <laughs> eating that fruit leather like a motherfucker, and I love it. And I'll never apologize, never. And it loves you back, Hallie. It loves you back. It does. And we love you, the audience who listens to us. And here, if you are a fan of Night Vale and you have other friends who are fans of Night Vale and they might not know about this show, they haven't even discussed it yet, you don't even know, ask them, reach out to them, share it with other people, help us grow, be a part of the Good Morning Night Vale army. 
which is a friendly army that uses handshakes and weapons. <laughs> Next week, we are going to be covering episode 26, Faceless Old Woman, and we're going to be talking with the Faceless Old Woman, Mara Wilson. That is coming up next week. But until then, good morning, Night Vale. Good morning. Good Morning Night Vale is a Night Vale Presents production. It is hosted by Symphony Sanders, Hal Lublin, and Meg Bashwinner. It is edited by Grant Stewart. It is mixed by Vincent Cachione. It is produced by Meg Bashwinner. Theme music by Disparition. Special thanks to our fans who submitted their thoughts this week. Leave us a voicemail at 929-277-2050 or email us at info at goodmorningnightvale.com to share your theories and ask questions or to tell us if it's too early to start listening to our Bon Jovi Shits at Christmas album. This show is powered by our patrons like Cindy Zito Zahid, Caitlin Llewellyn, Hedda Paulson, Sarah Sherman, Took Gallagher, and Derek J. If you are interested in supporting this show in exchange for lots of fun, exclusive, insider, hyper cool kid content, check us out at patreon.com slash goodmorningnightvale. For more information on this show, go to goodmorningnightvale.com and follow us on Facebook and on Twitter at Nightvale Chat. Special thanks to Christy Gressman, Jeffrey Craner, Joseph Fink, and Adam Cecil. Today's adverb is truthfully. Truthfully, we will never know the truth. We can only get closer to the truth, and we can get closer to that truth by reading the Wikipedia page for blue whales while on our lunch breaks. They say you shouldn't meet your heroes. I'm Joseph Fink, and I'd like to introduce you to I Only Listen to the Mountain Goats, the show where I meet my hero and have conversations about songwriting, art, and life. This podcast is going to be weird for me because I'm proud of what I do, but I always try to change the subject if people tell me that my stuff is good. (laughs) I Only Listen to the Mountain Goats. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts.